You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Funny thing happened this morning is that a Jew and a Chinese person walk into the church. The Jew is Dink Toler right here with me. And uh, Dink did a great job 50 days ago uh, with the uh, Seder service. And one of the goals in the West Side is that we really want to, uh, we live in the West Side, which is one of the highest concentration in terms of a Jewish community outside of Israel. Did you guys know that? Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, New York, L.A., and some scattered cities in the old uh, Russian Republic. But L.A., as particularly the West Side, so I really appreciate having Dink with us because he is an expert, if you will, at Jewish law. And he's going to come up and talk to us a little bit about uh, Pentecost Sunday. I give you Dink Toller. All right, Dink. You got it? Thank you, Ken. I appreciate uh, the introduction. And uh, it's really an honor, and I'm grateful to leadership, uh, for the opportunity just to be able to come and to uh, share some um, thoughts with you. Uh, Pentecost is a, is a holiday that the Christian community is very familiar with. There's also a second holiday that actually happens to be closely tied to it that's part of the Jewish community. And what I want to show you today is, um, in my part, is re- uh, what Ken and I are going to be sharing is really showing you how remarkable God's plan of redemption really is. Uh, Pentecost, as we know, is at, uh, Acts chapters 1 and 2. Uh, it takes place five weeks after, uh, after uh, Jesus is crucified and resurrected. Um, after 40 days after the crucifixion, Jesus goes and is, uh, goes up and uh, ends up going up into heaven, is called home, and 10 days later, the events of Acts chapter 2 happen. And a lot of us know, and we kind of know it, and, and Ken's going to talk on some of it, but we know kind of some of the events that happened there, but do we really know why all those Jews from all over the world were there? Do we know why they were there and ready to hear to God's word? Uh, one thing I've often heard is even on that day, we know that 3,000 people were baptized. Well, how the heck did 3,000 men get baptized at a time? It's tough for us to organize a baptism service with one person. The picture you see up there is actually what one of the mikvahs actually look like at the southern steps. This would have been one of the actual baptismals used. There are actually a hundred of them that line the temple courts, uh, the southern steps leading up into the temple courts in Jerusalem to enter up into the temple is very important. And so what it is is there were a hundred of these, and actually there would have been a hundred thousand people approximately would have gone through them on their way up into the temple even before they heard Peter because of the holiday that was existing. The holiday that existed already was called Shavuot. Shavuot is a celebration of the giving of the law in the book of Exodus. It's the event that happens five weeks after Israel's physically saved from Egypt. So after leaving Egypt, 40 days later they leave. You're going to start to see a lot of tie-ins between Acts and Exodus today. Moses goes up into the mountain. Ten days later, he comes down, and then the events that we're going to look at and see how it ties to our redemption occur. Uh, but one of the things that's really important to me with these days and why it's important to first understand is I think the more we know God, the more we can appreciate really how intentional his plan of redemption has really been from the beginning. What happened in the book of Exodus, obviously they go and they, and they get away, but one of the things to understand how they were redeemed physically and how it sets up our spiritual freedom later on 
is to understand God's plan of redemption for us. And to do that, I think we can look at it by a few scriptures. And in his plan, uh, Exodus 19 and 20 are the primary one. If you want to go back later and study it out more exhaustively, we're only going to hit a couple of scriptures. Um, But what we want to know is how did God redeem us? And I think we can learn it through this event. First off, as Exodus um, 19, um, I think we're missing one here, but we'll go. All right, we'll hit that. First off, God carried us. He carried us like an eagle, as it says in Exodus uh, 19.4. So the first off God does is he comes and he redeems you and rescues you where you're at. He rescued them in Egypt. He took them from where they were. He took them from being slaves for 400 years. He took them from being destitute, depressed, beaten, killed, hated, viled, suffering through ten plagues. The Jews suffered through many of the first several plagues. But it was that backdrop that led them then um, to this moment. Not even knowing that after this moment they would wander in the desert for another 40 years. But leading into it, God redeemed them. First, by saving them and reaching them and flying them and helping them soar like eagles. Secondly, he gave them instruction and value. As we can see here in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, he says, Now then, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure and among all people, for all the earth is mine. So as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of koanim, or priests, and a holy nation. These are the words which you are to speak to Benai Israel, all of Israel. And this is incredibly important. He rescued them and he took them out, but they needed something else. All right, it's great to be rescued, but for a plan of redemption, it's not just the breakout. It's not how do we get away? How do we restart our life? How do we go? What are we going to do now? What now what? What is that going to look like? Who are we before the living God? The living God just brought us out of hundreds of years of slavery. We don't really know him. We know very little about him. So what is he about to do? He's about to give them the Torah. He's going to give them instruction. He's going to give them 600 plus decrees just to be able to live their life. 600 laws, we oftentimes think of the Torah as very, uh, it's the law, it's restrictive, it's mean, it's condemning. But think about it. That was the law for the entire nation. That's 2 million people approximately at the time of the Exodus. 600 laws governed the entire nation. Today, we have over 1,000 laws. Just, just Southern California has over 1,000 laws just on driving. We have that specific. God gave them 611 or 12, depending whose count you go by, laws, principles to live by. And that each generation would get to decide how to live that out. And there was a great freedom in that because he gave them a structure. He gave them a hope. He gave them some help to know it. So that part of redemption was really important that he gave them that instruction. It's really important that he gave them value. When you have something of value, you have rules. When you're a kid and you're running in your parents' house, don't run, don't play with the ball in the house. Remember a very famous Brady Bunch episode where they play the ball in the house and they break an expensive vase. Why was the rule there? Because it has value. Because that thing has value. You have value. God gave the Torah to guide you to him. He gave you the Bible, the word of God, so that you know that you have absolute value. And if you don't know that value, you're in a lot, it, it, it's going to be very difficult 
to continue to follow him. But then once we recognize we have value, we have to realize that he took, again, out of the Exodus, he took what was broken and in bondage, and he gave it freedom. As he says in Exodus 20, I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. It's incredibly important to remember, where were you before God called you? Where were you, if God is just now calling you, where were you an hour before today? Where were you yesterday? If God already called you and you've forgotten, where were you an hour ago? Where were you yesterday? What tragedies, what pain, what heartache, what sorrow, what what destitution do you feel? What hopelessness? They had all of it. And yet God brought them to the face of a mountain to give them hope, to give them a plan. This is 1,200 years before the events of Acts 2. But they happen the same month, the same day, with a lot of eerie coincidences, but not really coincidences. God's, I want you to see is that God's plan is complete, and he will start and will finish what he starts. He has a plan, and he started it 1,200 years before the Acts. This is one of the earliest. This event in Exodus 19 and 20 is one of the earliest indications we have of what God's plan of salvation would look like, what his redemption for our lives would look like. And when you know, so to know that all the Jews that were coming to hear Peter and us in a few minutes, to, in just a minute to hear Ken, what we knew and what they heard were these things. They had come to celebrate that freedom from Egypt. They had celebrated the Passover a few weeks earlier. They came to give their offering out of the blessings they had been given so that, so that God's name could be praised, much in the way we gave earlier today. That's this holiday. That's this moment that they were there. So these were devout people that wanted to know God coming to hear them. And as much as we hail 3,000 being baptized, do I did say there were 100,000 people approximately there, so even Peter faced a lot of rejection. So when we have to share our faith, remember, not everyone is ready to hear it, but it's God who calls them, not us. We're just there to be that conduit. But as we look at some of the events, I want you to see that these are some tie-ins to help you see how complete and amazing God's plan is. The Shavuot and the Pentecost, both events occurred on a mountain, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, known as the Mountain of God, which is recorded in Exodus and Isaiah. Both events involve God's people receiving a gift, the Torah, the Word of God, and the Spirit. Both events happened to a newly redeemed people. The Exodus marked the birth of the Israelite nation, while the Pentecost events recorded in Acts 2 marked the birth of Christianity. In both events, the gift was given by God, settling on a mountain with the fire of his spirit. When you read Exodus 19 and 20 and Acts 1 and 2, you, it is eerie, the exact same language used, about fire, tongues of fire and wind and thunder and lightning. The conditions were exactly the same. Both events took place at the same time and the same month. The Israelites left Egypt on Passover and 40 days later arrived at Sinai. Then Moses went up on a mountain to see God. Ten days later, Moses came down with the Torah and the Israelites broke the covenant. And remember this phrase because it's, it's the opposite is said in Acts 2. And about 3,000 men were killed that day for disobeying God. And now, 1,200 years later, Jesus died on the Passover. Forty days later, he went up on the mountain to see God 
on the Mount of Olives. Ten days after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came down and 3,000 people were saved. And the two passages, when you read the Exodus and the Acts, use the same phrase, about 3,000 men. I do not believe that's an accident. That they were there to remember the 3,000 killed and 3,000 are baptized. God's righteous judgment and his grace on display for everyone to see. His plan of redemption was there from the very beginning. And they'd been celebrating that every year faithfully looking for that. Again, 50 days after sacrificing the Passover lamb, the Israelites received a covenant from God. 50 days after sacrificing Jesus, our Passover lamb, believers received a new covenant from God. In both events, God gave his Torah to his people, and in both cases, he sealed the covenant that he had made with them. At Mount Sinai, he gave the law written on his finger on tablets of stone. At Pentecost, he gave the law written on the tablets of the heart. In both events, a mixed multitude of people were represented. The Torah attempted to change people from the outside. The Holy Spirit changes from within. The word Torah means teaching. In John 14, the Holy Spirit is called the teacher. It is really important for us to know that and to recognize God's spirit. It's important for us to recognize that plan of redemption. No matter where you're going at in your life, I was talking with a friend the other day, and she was talking to me about just how much she feels like her life is a train wreck, how much she sees all these different things happening and going on that she's really having trouble overcoming, and she was having trouble seeing the goodness of God. And it went, and that hit me. And it hit me hard as I looked at my own life and I looked at my own shortcomings. I had to remember the joy of my salvation. I had to remember where God had called me and where he had brought me from. That he had a plan that took 1,200 years to reveal and took another 2,000 to call me. That he has been intentional from the beginning. So one of the things I want you to take away from it, our God is real. These are documented, verifiable facts. There is more proof of this than William Shakespeare wrote his own plays. The archaeological evidence is overwhelming. Our God is real. He intentionally came from you. This is not an accident. He's orchestrated it from the beginning. And most importantly, the more broken you are, the weaker you are, the more his power is revealed, the more his love can come out. And in the end, if you have faith in that, you put that faith in that hope, his love will prevail. And now, with that knowledge, we need to know what is our mission with that? Now that we have knowledge of that and we know what we're supposed to do, and Ken will share that mission with you. You know, what I, what I love about what Dick shared was the word intentional, right? God is intentional. It's not an accident. It's not like, oh, some random stuff happened and then all put together and you know, you're here today. It's all intentional. And I think we take comfort in that, to know that God's plans are, are it's going to happen. It's not, it's, not, it's not by chance. You know, one of the greatest um, challenges of being a minister is to do what when we speak, is to get people involved. You know, I showed, um, taught a book that uh, the Barna group just came up with. And uh, the Barna group is known for their uh, surveys, right? And they've done surveys over the last 20 years, and consistently church attendance have gone down. And there's a distrust in institution, there's a distrust in leadership, and there's a distrust in government and all these things. Because I think a lot of people don't feel connected 
with these institutions and the church being one of them as well. And really, that is such a tragedy because the Bible is meant to pull us all into the story. So if you're bored in church, I'm not doing my job. If you're bored in church, you're not doing your homework as well. Because when we read about this church beginning, it's exciting. It's amazing what we are a part of today. But it's one of those things where it's not just, show me what you got. Show me the money, right? It's one of those things where it is what we make of it together. That's what church is. It is what we make of it together. I really appreciate uh, Chaz's lesson last week. I still remember it uh, as if it was yesterday. You know, just talking about the reverence for God. Throughout history, Old Testament, New Testament, it's the reverence for God. Coming to church prepared. Coming to church really thinking about really giving. Coming to church early. Giving, coming to church prepared to give to one another and to worship God. And as we go back to these scriptures, I hope that we think about it. I hope we think, okay, what about me? What do I play in this great story of redemption? And you might look at the slide there and you go, hey, Ken, I think there's a typo there. No, it's not a typo. We talk about reverence. The Jewish people will not write God's name out of reverence for God. They can write it on something that can be erased, that you can write it on a a word processor, and you can erase it later, because that's going to be erased, right? But they will not write something that will be, there's a record of it, or there's a piece of paper that inevitably will be thrown away or in the trash bin. So they do that on purpose they leave a word out or a letter out in reverence for God. Isn't that cool? That people do little things today just to to show God reverence. You know, a good friend of mine, I know it's kind of weird, a good friend of mine visited a mosque the other day. You know, the one that I've always seen it. Down on Washington Boulevard. I've always seen it. I've always heard sounds coming out of it. It's so ironic that it's right next to the NFL network, but that's another story. Well, we actually went in, got the tour. The imam gave us a tour. I tell you what, I don't believe in it, but I'm blown away and I'm inspired by them. They pray five times a day. They get together 1.5 billion, 1.3 billion. They face towards Mecca five times a day. As we speak, the Muslims are in the state uh, in a month called the month of Ramadan, where they fast the whole month from morning to night. Not only food, but water as well. They don't eat. They don't drink. It's a bummer when the Olympics happens on Ramadan, really. Because, because the athletes, they can't drink. They, don't, they, they do it by their faith. We learn from these things, don't we? Just to respect for God himself. I think as Christians, we've lost that somehow. I think as Christians, we, we don't sense that anymore sometimes. And I think we need to give that back. God's redemption, the mission of church, I have one point, impact. That's the mission of God's church, is impact. It's not, it's not the most boring time of day or week. It, is, it should be the most exciting time of the week is when we get together corporately to worship and to listen to God's word. I know it's kind of small. I hope hope we can get it. 
We start off in the book of Acts. It says uh, Acts 1. As Dink said, this is uh, Pentecost. Penta means five. This is 50 days after the Passover. And it's seven weeks plus one day. And you get that word from the Pentateuch, five as well. We get that word also in the Pentagon, five-sided as well. But they got together and something special was happening. The Bible says after his suffering, Jesus here, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proof that he was alive. We can park all day on this scripture. Why was it so important that Jesus had to prove that he was alive after he was crucified? What did Paul say about our faith in the resurrection? Paul says that without the resurrection, we are the most pitied of men and women on the planet. You know why is that? It's not just that we come to church and we have great fellowship. It's not. Those are great things. It's not just to come to church and we get great donuts or great waffles or whatever. Those are good things. But the hope that we have and the hope that Jesus was trying to impress upon his disciples is the resurrection of life. That is what you and I have today. More than just, I want a good life. That's what a lot of people want. Jesus says, I got something way better for you. And he spends 40 days convincing the disciples what? That he was alive. So that it is impressed upon it in their hearts and mind. That the resurrection of the human soul is the most important thing that we can strive for. And how does that tie in? He says, he he spent 40 days and I gave him many convincing proof that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. As Dink talked about, 40 days and then 10 days they were in Jerusalem, the disciples. And he spoke about the kingdom of God. What is the vehicle to bring about the salvation of mankind at this point in history? It's not an accident. It's the church itself. What did he talk about in the 40 days? Was he talking about the Dodgers or, you know, the stock market or, or you know, what's going to be, who's going to be the next governor or of Judea? No, the kingdom of God. Let me share with you a little personal testimony as well. I was a college student when I became a Christian, 21 years old. I was looking for a job, okay, job fair, student union. As I was walking around, this guy opened the door and met me on campus. That five-minute conversation that he had with me changed my life, my eternity. Where I was going to live, who I was going to marry, what job I was going to have. And not only that, but I really believe my eternity. There is no more power than that. To change a human being's life, a trajectory, that's power. What convinced me to give up my life for this? It's the kingdom of God. It's the word of God. In Exodus, it says, You've seen uh, what I did to the Egyptian. And I have no idea how that slide got in there. Uh, so I think it's out of order. Let me keep going here. Acts 2. We were uh, kind of switching it around a little bit. 
Acts 2, as they were moving on, so Peter was preaching the word. What did he preach about? It says, when the, when the day of Pentecost came, uh, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of the, wind, the violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the culmination of the three years that the disciples spent with Jesus. And they were blown away that Jesus did what? He says, I'm out of here. This is your show. You know, the Buddha came along and he had 80 years to build up his movement. Jesus spent three years. That's it. And the rest of it was left up to his disciples to get things going. And God made a statement on the day of Pentecost. A violent wind came. And the Bible says that they spoke in different languages. And I want to tell you a little history about church movements as well. There is a movement called the Pentecostal movement, which is spreading around the world. Why? It started here in 1906 in the Azusa Church. Because... Church had become so stale, so boring. But you know, you know, some people are like, let's infuse some spirits, whether it's real or made up, into this. I, I got good news for you. We don't have to infuse anything. I think if we live by the spirits, the impact will be there. I'm not trying to disparage anybody. That's just a little bit of a church history lesson. It is what we make out of it. Did we come this morning prepared? Did we come this morning to inspire? Did we spend this week? How can I glorify God? How can I inspire one another? The church got started that way. God filled them with the Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit that lived in them lives with us today. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? That this story is not relegated to 2,200 years ago or 4,000 years ago with Abraham. It is here today with each one of us today. How much are we willing to take hold of it today? Personally, a personal relationship with God. That God is speaking to me. God is working in me. Just like he did with the disciples then. Impact. In verse 36, he preached the word to people, and this is what he said. This is where impact comes from. Therefore, let all Israel... So Peter preached the message about... What did he preach about? The plan of God, just like what Dink says. He lays it out. He lays out how Jesus plays in that plan, and he lays out what we did to Jesus. He says, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? It's personal. Where do we get that impact? Where do we get that, that, where do we get that relationship with God? You know, Peter, he went through all the story about God, the movement, the Messiah, and he breaks it down into you are held responsible before God. It's you and God. Isn't that amazing? It's not this historical 
grand swipe of things. He says, you put Jesus on the cross by your sins. And the Bible says when the people, as Dink says, there are about, probably about 100,000 people in this festival. This is one of the three big festivals for Jewish, the pilgrimage festival, where they actually come to Jerusalem. There's about 100,000 people, and 3,000 people responded. The Word of God hardens cement, but it also melts butter. Which one are we? So these people said, you know, they were cut to the heart. What does that mean? That means that there's a visceral impact in their lives. And they took responsibility for what they did. You know, when was the last time we were cut to the heart? When is the last time we feel deeply about things? You know, I appreciate what Ira shared about. And I'm I'm grateful that she has this time to talk to her dad. We don't know what's going to happen. Six to ten months. Six to twelve months. But you know, my relationship with my dad, when I, when I think about this passage, I think about different things. But one of the things that really cut me is one time, you know, just like I shared, when I was a kid, a dumb kid, um, we had just moved over. We were immigrants from Vietnam. The war just ended. And I got in a fight with my dad. And I still remember it. I'm going to take this one down to my grave, this one. And I got in a fight with my dad. It was, it was a very heated argument. And my dad brought up, you know, well, who, who raised you? Who took care of you? And I still remember what I said. I said, it's the government. We were poor. We were immigrants. We were just getting things started. And I still remember to this day, you know, it was a heated argument. And my dad, when I said that, I said, you know, who's taking care of me? It's the government. It's, it's food stamps. It's, it's the government help. And I remember my dad's face. He just stopped. The argument just ceased and he walked away. I wish I can take those words back. And even though I apologized to my dad, it's done. It's done. And I know that he's pretty strong and I know that he probably forgot about it, I I hope. But over the years, I've been thinking, what a dumb kid. Here's, here's a man that walked us through the war, eight kids, put us through school, sacrifice, left his home, lost his home, lost his country, came over to a new country, getting a new start. And here's this dumb young person just spouting out stuff. And I apologize to my dad, but I, I, I know that I'm going to keep that one. Cut to the heart. How do we relate that to our relationship with God, the things that we've done to God as well? And these people figured it out. I know there are some of us that are visiting today. This is not just a church that will tell good things. This is not a, this is not a church that is going to say, hey, look, this is how you get rich, or this is how you get blessings. No, this is sacrificial stuff. I mean, a lot of us, we gave up great jobs. There's a lot of us... And hear that, you know, this is L.A., this is Hollywood. There have been actors and roles that we've stopped taking. There's jobs that we couldn't do because it interferes. This is not one of those prosperity gospel. This is the real deal that we're striving towards. And part of that is being cut to the heart of you visiting today. There's no way around this. This is what the scripture says. First century Christianity. It starts with taking responsibility before God. Brothers, 
What shall we do? That's the spirit that, that was exhibited. In verse 36, it says, Repent and be baptized, Peter said, Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Yeah, I'm definitely on the downswing. As a 50-year-old guy, I wake up in the morning, first thing I do is I groan. Oh, that's the first thing I do. You know, Lena and I have, you know, three kids, and Gabby's our youngest. She's five. I don't remember Gabby waking up in the morning and going, oh, my gosh. Oh, so tough. I don't remember that. But I do it every day. Okay? It's, it's a bummer getting old. It really is. It really is, man. It stinks. You wake up and stuff hurts. You go, where did that come from? I didn't even do anything. And it hurts, right? So I'm thinking a lot about the future. Not my future, but my kid's future. Okay? I think about Lena's future, too. We talked about this. I know it's kind of weird. Married people do stuff, and they talk weird stuff. I said, Lena, you can get married when I die. I just want to give you permission. All right? You just got to wait six months, because it looks really bad if you don't. You know? so, anyway, that's just weird stuff. But with Gabby and stuff, what, what is the legacy that we can leave behind? And Peter talks about that. He says, listen, you can leave a gazillion dollars or you can leave the opportunity for salvation. I know some of us are getting older. What's your legacy? What's going to be your legacy? What's going to be my legacy? Peter says, he, he, he went for the guttural. He says, listen, you want to give something good to your kids? You want to give something that is eternal? Give them God. Give them God. The only way that we're going to do that is we close out. The only way we're going to do that is this passage here. With many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 as Dick was talking about, were added to their number that day. It's a radical change. It's revolutionary what these people did. You see, for baptism, for Jews, it's for the Gentiles to get washed, cleansed. It's a conversion experience. Most of it. Not, 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 not exclusive. But for a Jew to say, listen, I need to totally change. And to get baptized, that's revolutionary. And this is what they did afterwards. They formed a community. I want to read to you. I thought about mission statements and stuff like that for our church because I think we have a great opportunity as our church. I thought about mission statement, but I found one from one of my favorite preachers on the internet. There's some great preachers out there. I want to read to you because I think this is better than what I can come up with. All right? It's from a church in New York. And uh, the teacher's name is uh, Tim Keller. He says, we've been looking at this church, and he says, to build a great city for all people through a gospel movement that brings about personal conversion, community formation, social justice, and cultural renewal in New York City and the world. 
Now, if we're going to be a part of a community that cares that much about the city, we're going to have to get the whole relationship, this new relationship, to an understanding of our own individual needs. What's he talking about? He's talking about in the church. We've got to realize who we are. That we're responsible for social justice, for community formation, for bringing about personal people's conversion individually. All those things are the responsibility of the church. I thought it would be good for me to read that instead of just saying it, because sometimes we think, well, you know, it's just us. No, I think people have understood that as the mission of the church. It's not just here, but who's going to do it? That's the key. Who's going to do it? And look at what the church is in the beginning as we close on out. Look at their attitude and look at their heart. And this is a paradigm for us. He says, every day they continue to meet together. In the temple courts, they broke bread and in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day they got together. Praise God we have text messages. Praise God we have phone and Skype and stuff like that. So it's not just a matter of meeting together face to face, although that is needed. But it's talking about a community that's so intertwined with each other, that is so rooting for one another, that it makes a difference in this Roman world 2,000 years ago and in our modern world today. And because of this community that God has forged and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It was a dynamic, growing church. Growth. True disciple-making. True spiritual formation, true conversion stories. That's a that's a hallmark of God's church. Maybe not three thousand in a day, but man, there's got to be a trickling of people reading God's word. There's got to be a trickling of people becoming Christians in our midst, that we're having an impact in this place that God has put us here. Let me close this out in just summarizing. It's not an accident, as Dink talked about. God's plans are always intentional. It's not an accident that they're here today. Let's take a better perspective of who we are. Amen? Let's get a better understanding of who we are as God's people. Let's not make light of God's plan over the years. That it cost him something to get us each individually here. It cost him his own son. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you. God, it's so hard sometimes to convince us of how valuable and significant that we are. God, and you do that every single day as we wake up. You knock on our doors. God, you knock on our hearts to tell us. God, help us. Help us. God, on this Pentecost Sunday to understand the value of our soul before you and the value of the church for the community. Help us to share the gospel of Jesus and help us to love one another as you command as we love ourselves. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless everybody.
You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.